into uh, the third part of this series. And uh, we've just been tracking along in Philippians. We looked at Philippians chapter 1, then we looked at Philippians chapter 2, and today we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3. And when Paul wrote this, he didn't put chapters in there. He did not put little markers like this is verse 1, verse 2. He just wrote a letter. That's all he did. And as he wrote that, <coughs> as he wrote that letter, then what this was, ab- <coughs> what this was about, that's, that's the way it has to work. And so uh, as he wrote this letter, he wrote this not to a person, but he wrote it to an entire group of believers. Make sure that the other end is plugged directly into the projector and it doesn't run through that system. And so we're having some technical difficulties with T9. T9, we're so sorry. I hope you can hear me. You're obviously not seeing me. And so we appreciate everybody who's over there in T9. Let's give T9 a hand. Folks, most of the time, T9 works. And so you see us going, I'm having to give some direction. And so um, we're trying to make that work for you over in T9. So we're sorry about that. Um, but <clears throat> Paul wrote to, an, to a group of believers that lived in a city. So this is the concept that Paul would have written to all the believers in San Angelo. But it's not San Angelo. It's the, a city called Philippi. But it was a bustling, huge, important city in its day. So when he says you... We tend to make that the singular you. But it really needs to be read with the plural you because that's what it is. He's writing to all of them. So we should have a West Texas version so we could get it. So that when, he, when it, this is written, at, then instead of saying you, it should say y'all. And then we would get it that it's, this is to all of us and this is to a group. So let's go ahead and jump into our notes. If you've got your you version app, you can follow along with that. <clears throat> Paul points out some of the safeguards to maintaining the steady flow of joy that comes from being connected with a community of Christ followers. <clears throat> when we see this in a part of Celebration Church's vision, it's not just the Sunday morning. Obviously, the f- new facility and all that helps to, helps to accentuate that and allow us to be able to, to carry on, put everybody in one room, and T9's over here with us, and, and we're able to have room to continue to grow. But part of the heartbeat of Celebration Church are our small groups. And this is where the, we have this opportunity to, to pray for each other and be more intimately involved in each other's lives. And we're able to find this concept of this joy found in this thing called us. Let's go ahead and let's look at Psalms chapter 16, verse 11. It says, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So where is this joy found? This joy is found in being connected with God. That's where this joy is found. This joy is found there and there alone. Well, then it makes sense that if we're going to be in His presence, then His body, the body of believers, for you of you that are on the outside, you say the body of Christ, you may not catch it. But all of the New Testament references every believer as coming together and making up the body of Christ. And so as we, this comes together, as this comes together, then it makes sense that as we hang out with Him, as we hang out with our Father, that there is this amazing connection and we find this joy. And He's made known to us this paths of life. Now so many times we think the best path is going to be the, the path that we have the most room on and we can go the fastest on. 
Now, all of us have different struggles, okay? All of us have different struggles. So I don't want anybody judging me, okay? You got your stuff. You got your stuff. We're patient with you. You can be patient with me. But one of mine is the fact that I think I find this compensation in the fact that I'm not physically athletic and I'm certainly not fast. I can't even say it. I can't speak either. And so, but I'm not fast. And so since I got my driver's license, I've had this issue that when I get behind a wheel of a car, I like to go too fast. I fast. I like to go fast. And so by the time Cutie and I got married, and I was, had just turned 20 years old, and by the time we got married, I'd had 19 tickets. Yes. And I didn't go to jail, and I didn't get my license revoked, and I won't tell you how. And uh, there's there'll be one more thing you'll have to forgive me for. And so, but I didn't. And so as I've moved forward in life, I've, I've gotten a little better. A little better. You're allowed to take defensive driving once a year. If they allow it, then you ought to do it. Not really. Not really. Not really. But anyways, as... As they said that, I just, en- I just enjoy it. In fact, I saw, I saw <clears throat> your brother this last week. He has a sweet challenger. We were going to the youth building, and I pass him at a light, and then it follows me. And then he gets out at the youth building, and I'm just drooling over, this, over John Gomez's challenger. And the first thing I told him is, do not ever let me drive your car. <laughs> just don't ever. Let me look at it. Let me sit in it. But just don't ever let me have the keys, because I'll get in trouble. And... Um, and so with that, then one of my the favorite, the best highway in the state of Texas right now was this awesome toll road between Austin and San Antonio where you can go 85 miles an hour legitimately. That's the speed limit. So if you set it four over, you're going 89 miles an hour. You know, Mike, they give you four, right? And so... Anyways, but that, that's just this, this thing that I just, I just have, to be, I have to be watchful for myself. And most of the time, we want everything we think, the place that we can go the fastest and have the most room. and have the, That's got to be the best way. But actually, whenever we're looking for the paths of life, it actually goes very, very different. We ever look at the scriptures, it goes very, very different. In fact, this isn't in your notes. I'm going to share it with you right now. Matthew 7, 13 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter in through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. This goes contrary. This goes counterintuitive, especially in Jesus' day. Because we don't get the concepts of a road that leads to life, but they had them, especially in Israel. Because... As they would go through their court systems and whatnot, we understand this, this concept of having a good court system set up. And if you accidentally took someone's life, well, then hopefully the court system would be able to, to handle that on some level. But when you have an old school system like the old covenant law that is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and a life for a life, then it, all of these systems didn't work. So they early on, they set up these things called cities of refuge. Where if someone accidentally took a life, they're out there and they're working along and they're chopping a tree and their axe head flies off and it 
take somebody's life. Well, then there was this process called the avenger of blood. And there's this person who was a relative could come in and could, could be able to bring justice. They didn't, have, they didn't have the whole police system and all of this. And this person who accidentally took someone's life could then flee to a city of refuge and the avenger of blood could not touch them. Didn't apply to murders, didn't apply to malicious things. But this person could go and they had to relocate, almost like a witness protection deal. And they had to live in this city of refuge. And the city of refuge, the highways that took you to a city of refuge, were the most broad ways that existed. In fact, you could tell what kind of a road was by how wide it was. You had a private path and it was four cubits abroad, which, which a cubit is about a foot and a half, so that's about six feet across. So you have a, a, a way that leads directly to somebody's house, which is about six feet wide, which is wide enough for a cart and an animal to be able to get through it. Nobody's passing, but it's just yours. It's just for you to get in and out. So you come along and you see something six feet wide and you're like, you better know where that goes because that's, that's, that's somebody's property and you stay off of that. Then you had public roads where they were twice as wide, which allowed these carts and these deals to be able to pass one another and they didn't create these roadblocks. Then the thing that took you to a major, <clears throat> a major city, it was sit there and it was, a, it was twice as wide as that. So you're coming along one of these and instead of having the little highway markers, Jericho this way, Samaria this way, you understood I'm going to a major city. You come along and you're on, a, you're, <clears throat> you're on an eight cubit wide path. You come along one twice as wide, 16 cubits wide. Now all of a sudden that's going to carry you to the next major city. So you're able to carry that on. And it was allowed for even more traffic to go. But there, were, there was only a handful of cities of refuge. And those pathways were the broadest pathways. They were twice as wide as that. They're 32 cubits wide. They were super wide. Which then allowed you, you weren't going to get blocked. If someone's chasing you, you were going to be able to maneuver. And then just a blind just a blind scare, you running for your life. If you just keep choosing a bigger and a bigger and a bigger pathway, you stay on the biggest pathway you can possibly find, eventually you're going to end up at a city of refuge and your life is going to be spared. They understood that broad was the way that led to life. And Jesus turned it up on its end and said, narrow is the way. And said, narrow leads you to a specific destination. All of the others were cut-throughs. All the others could get you to different places. But the narrow path, the most narrow path, took you to a specific place. It wasn't a cut-through. It took you to a destination. And Jesus revealed what that destination was in John 14, 6. And he answers, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. See, here's the deal. Jesus is the only gate. He's the only narrow way. That is big enough for all of us to come. We look at the end result and we see that there in Revelations that there is a sea of humanity that no man can number. Guess what? There's a whole lot of people that recognize that Jesus Christ is the Savior and they, and they pursue him and they get out. But it comes through, not the broad path of all of us going arm in arm. Well, I'm probably all right with God. I'm hooked up with a whole lot of other people that seem to be on the right way. No, this is for you. This path is narrow. It's not that you get carried there. You come. It's you and God. You make a decision. You follow His voice. You recognize that you need a Savior and you place your faith in Him. 
And so as we're pursuing this thing, we have to understand these concepts. And let's look at Philippians 3.1. It says, finally, my brothers, rejoice. Rejoice. Joy all over again. Rejoy. Rejoice in the Lord. There should be these things, these concrete things that God has done in our lives and they bring us joy every time we revisit them. One of the things I love about celebrating the anniversary with my wife is it brings me joy because I celebrate all over again the fact that she actually said yes. (laughs) That she actually walked that aisle even though she had a little bit of medication. It still counts. It still counts. Still counts. She signed it. We're not going to get into that. She had the flu. She still said, I do. I have it on video. But we, in that process, we, it brings us joy all over again. There's some things in our lives that should bring us joy all over again. Getting together with people that we've been doing life with. The same people ought to be a continual place and source of joy in our lives. He goes on to say, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It's a safeguard for you. Coming back to these core principles is a safeguard Why we're going to get into it in a little bit because there's times people can wander away from the truth that you started on. So we have to come back and remember it and rejoy all over again and stay connected and come to this place. You know what? As As a parent, I need to learn from Paul. Because when he's writing to these people he's in charge of, that he's pastoring, he says, it's no trouble for me to say these things to you again. I don't know about you other parents. I get tired of repeating myself. My wife gets tired of repeating herself to me. She has to do it the most. But Paul didn't. Paul didn't get tired. He's like, these things are so important. I will tell you, and then I will tell you, and I will remind you, and it is no trouble for me to keep coming back to these concepts. And so we're going to look at some things, that some core principles, and we're going to click through them that are things that help shore us up in being connected with each other in the place of genuine, real joy and love. And the first one is to be led by love and not by law. To be led by love is to look for God at work in somebody. To be led by the law is to look for them to be messing up and violating what God has for them. That's its best case scenario. And still have some, doc, some concept that you want them connected with God. And we do and you bring the law. It's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario are these people who use the law as a control. And it dips into that every time. You bring the law in. You start trying to use that as a control piece. I'm telling you. But if we will be led by love, it will change everything. It's not about rules. It's about relationship. And it has to be that. As soon as you stick a bunch of rules in it, I'm telling you, it's going, it, it completely takes the joy out of the relationship. We have to let the Spirit of God lead us into truth and freedom. You can't work your way into freedom. You can't do it. You can't do it. 
Philippians 3, we're going to just pick up on the very next verse. It says, watch out for those dogs. Man, he is, he's using some tough language here. He's not joking around. Paul's being very direct. Those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for, <clears throat> for it is we who are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. I won't keep this PG, but this is what he's referring to is the, the Jewish system that you had, to, you had to be circumcised. And if you don't know what that is, you can Google it later. And um, most of us do. Okay, maybe don't Google it. Sorry. Ask your neighbor. And so, <laughs> thank you, dear. Woo! And, uh, all right, back on track. And, um, and so, but the, these, these Jewish believers... We're saying that if you were going to have a relationship with God, then you had to bring in this old law and add that to it. That, yeah, we've got Jesus, but you're going to have to do this to your physical body. And if you haven't done this to your physical body, you're still not right with God. And Paul, who grew up in that route and understands the freedom that is in Christ, is violently attacking and saying, this is not right. Calls them mutilators of the flesh. This isn't even something that had any kind of religious connection whatsoever. These are people who are, who are being destructive. And he says that we are the ones, those who've placed their faith in Christ. We're the ones who are what that was supposed to be, this set-apart people. We're the ones who are that. And we don't put any confidence in the flesh. We don't say, well, this particular thing has been done to my body, so now I'm right with God and whatever. No, it's that Jesus did something, and now I'm right with God. Romans 13.10 says, Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Romans 14.17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a manner of eating and drinking, which so much of the law code had to do with all of these different things. And that's why Paul is speaking to these Romans converts. says, But of righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That is where this is found. Galatians 5, 7 says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? You were doing well and then all of a sudden you got off. That's why he doesn't have a problem coming back and bringing these core principles back. So what do we need to do? We need to watch out for the substitute. Something that can come in and instead of us, our, this being about our relationship with God, it can begin to be about something else. We pick up in the very next verse. In verse 4, it says, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, which they were like the super, super strict, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness faultless. He did what the law asked. But when God found him, he had done what the law had asked. But when God came to him on the Damascus Road, he was en route to go and to throw people in jail and to and have them killed. His heart was full of anger and vengeance and murder. All of this legalistic righteousness did nothing to the inside of him. Did nothing. It didn't change any of that. I'm sure most of you, if you've not been in a hole for the last few weeks, have are very familiar with all of the, the hubbub about the um, 
the hack of the website Ashley Madison and that all of the users of that coming out. And so it's been on our local news and a lot of different things. I get a, um, I get a, a culture commentary from a man, um, a, a minister named Jim Dennison out of Dallas. And he's connected with a lot of different flows and a lot of different things. And he recently posted on his culture commentary that just this past Sunday, this past Sunday, that there are almost 400 pastors last Sunday stood before their congregations like me and publicly resigned because that hack had revealed that they were one of the users of the Ashley Madison website. Over 400. Guys who weren't just supposed to be Christ followers, these guys were exalted to be leaders of Christ followers. And as much as that pains me, and I could immediately go, wow, that, that makes... That makes my job hard. It doesn't. It makes your job hard. You're the one that's inviting your friends and your family and saying, man, this Christ following thing matters and it makes a deal of my life. And People read some news article like that and you're the one that gets pushback, not me. You're the one that gets that thrown in your face, not me. And so I'm sorry. On behalf of all ministers, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that somehow that so many times people get in this routine and they don't come back to the original and what Paul is saying and come back to what this is really about, that it's about Christ and Christ alone and then about anything we can do or need to do or have to do on our, in and of ourselves. It's what Jesus has done and we let it become about something else and that substitute, whatever it is, comes in. Bigger, better, shinier, stronger rules, stronger account, all of these different things. And somehow in the privacy of those ministers' lives, it meant nothing. Now what I don't want to do is to simply rail. Because those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's 400 congregations that this week, right all week long, have been reeling with someone that they had trusted, that's 400 spouses and families that are broken and hurt right now. And that's 400 that went ahead and just came out and just said it's done. Whether or not there's some who are hoping that they'll slide through the cracks or whatever. So what I want us to do as a congregation is I want us to lift up those. We don't know their names. We don't know where they are. But they're part of our brothers and sisters. They're part of the body of Christ. So I want you to pause with me right now and we want to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful that this is about you. That it's not about us trying to work harder and to, and to, to live these little perfect lives to make you happy. But it's that you saw us in our brokenness and our frailty and our and in hopeless, <clears throat> hopelessly disconnected because of our own sin. And the sin has come against us, Heavenly Father, and you sent Jesus. Lord, that he was able to pay the price 100% and to make us 100% righteous. He covered all of us, all of humanity. And Father, we want to lift up, Lord, these these ministers. Lord, we pray that as they have allowed this to come to light, Lord, that there's a promise that if we walk in the light as you are in the light, we have fellowship with one another and your blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness and we speak healing and restoration over those ministers' lives right now. 
Lord, we speak healing over those spouses, right, who feel so violated and so hurt. We speak healing over those children and all of those congregations, Lord, who are dealing with all of the fallout of this. Heavenly Father, we speak life over them right now. And we put our arms around them in the Spirit and we say, Lord, Lord, we, we will not tolerate the enemy coming in and making a mockery of who you are and what you've done in Christ. And we're going to quit trying to put our own stilts and our own stuff to try to support it because it doesn't need any help. Jesus did it and he did it all. And we will rely 100% on you. And Lord, and we thank you for that. Lord, right now we just pray, Lord, that the, that the miracles of restoration and, the, and word of that comes back to us. And we're able to celebrate that in Jesus' name. Amen. It can get in. I don't care who you are. It can get in. And we can't let this substitute come in and find a place. And all of a sudden what we've done and who we are, how we've been trained can take a place of, of what Jesus has done. 2 Timothy 3.5 says, Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. There's this place that, the, that Paul doesn't say that the people who are out there struggling and dealing with stuff and they're honest about it, oh man, stay away from all of those people who are still in their process. The only times we're instructed to to be cautious about someone is someone who feels like they've got it all together, who've got this form of godliness but not allowing the power of who Christ is and what he's done. And he says that's who you watch out for. Those are the destructive people, not the people that Jesus came to to bring unto himself. So what we're going to do is we're going to stay focused on the things that draw us closer to Christ and those things will draw us closer to each other. So quickly, we want to keep on knowing. Keep on knowing. Keep growing in that. Keep letting that come in. That's knowing we all look through the scripture and there's this concept of intimacy. It's not just head knowledge. It's this heart knowledge. It's this deep connection. Verse 8, he says, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the suppressing greatness of what? Of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. It doesn't say I I compare everything a loss for doing something great for the kingdom of God. I compare everything, I consider everything a loss if I can just hold my stuff together. No, it's just simply knowing Jesus. Just knowing Him. Letting Him. That's why our mission is to help people to know God better and trust Him more. I'm so convinced if we'll all do that, all of this other junk that we can get wrapped up in will deal with itself. Jesus will work it out. For whose sake I have lost all things, and I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. He's talking to all the people of the Philippians and the Philippian church and saying, this is what I want y'all to do. I want y'all to rally together and to know Him collectively. 1 Peter 1.8 says, For though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Even though you do, not, you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That joy that we look for, that joy that God alone gives, it's not in working harder or trying harder and hitting some sort of religious merit badge. It's in simply knowing Him. 
The next one is don't stop growing. Jump down to verse 12. It says, not that I have already obtained all of this. I love it that Paul's honest. He's like, I, I, I'm still in process too. I'm not, I'm not saying that I've done it all perfect. But this is what I'm, this is what I'm about. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, that's losses and wins, just keep moving forward. Forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And James 1, verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance finishes its work so that you may mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's the beautiful thing, is anything that the enemy or life or anything throws at us, if we will continue to just move forward, all it does is bring us closer to God. Our wins can bring us closer to God. The stuff we hate and that we press on and we lean on Him, that brings us closer to God. We cannot lose if we will continue to pursue Him. And the last one is know where you're going. Jump down to verse 19. It says, Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand that there's something bigger at play. Honestly, if we think that this life on this planet is all there is, it can get pretty stinking depressing. When we understand that eternal life begins now, it's not a someday. It begins the day you say yes, and you can begin to grow in that, but it doesn't end when you exhale your last breath. That there is something more grand and more beautiful. And we can enjoy Him every second of eternity from now forward. 1 Peter 1 says, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. One more time, we want us to remember that ultimate joy grows as we love God and we love others. You will never have real joy focusing on yourself. Never. Ever. You will not. But as you allow God to begin to connect you and grow with others, I'm telling you that's where the true source of joy is. It just is. We want to create a quiet moment here and now.